finishing, alas, the book of Romans today in the Bible's New Testament. How many of you, you've actually either been here for every single run of it or you've watched every single run online? And how many of you say, boy, I'm glad it's over, Pastor? <laughs> okay. no. it's, it's a fantastic book, but I'm very, very aware. Ah, okay, good. Whoever let the kids go, good, thank you. I'm, my brain is all over the place, so thank you for doing that. Um, uh, it is a fantastic book, but it's very deep, as you know. And there's a lot in there, and there's a lot to scrape through. Uh, and today, we're going to finish with the end of it. And the end of it is actually um, a whole chapter. You know, if you've ever gotten a letter, and, and all of you have, and you know, a letter always has a conclusion. And it might say, yours truly, or yours sincerely, or whatever, and you'll conclude your letter. Usually your letter is, doesn't have a long conclusion to it, or maybe it's a love letter, and it might have a really long conclusion to it, I don't know. But here you have quite a conclusion, and I call this a yours truly for the ages. This is some amazing little passage here that's just really... A, 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 an ending to a letter. There's nothing deep and theological in it, per se. It's just really a closing to a letter, but there are some amazing things that we can learn just by looking at this conclusion, okay? So the, the real conclusion here actually starts in chapter 15. Um, so I call it a, a second conclusion, chapter 16. Just some interesting facts about Romans 16, okay? It's really a second conclusion. You ever heard a preacher and the preacher says, in conclusion, and then a half an hour later, they say, in conclusion, again, you know, and you're, with, you're hoping for a communion Sunday so that the pastor will be shorter and stop with the long conclusions? Well, this is kind of like that. This is almost a second conclusion because in, in Romans chapter 15, he actually concludes the letter there. And you can see the broader context of the letter there in the back end of Romans chapter 15. And he's basically saying, look, I'm trying to take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish regions. That's what I feel compelled to do. That's what I'm doing. And there's no place for me uh, to work in where I am right now. And so I'm going. And he's, he's on his way to Spain. And on his way to Spain is why he wants to see this church in Rome. He's never been there. So I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and uh, to have you assist me in my journey there. Because after I have enjoyed your company for a while there, I'm going to, first, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. So I'm headed to Jerusalem, and then I'm headed to Spain. And he tells us why he's headed to Jerusalem. He's actually taking an offering there. He's taking something tangible over to the church in Jerusalem to bless the church because they were in need. There's poor among the Lord's people there in Jerusalem where the whole thing started. So he's been, in a sense, raising money all over the place, and he's going to go and bring it to Jerusalem. Verse 27, chapter 15 of Romans, they were pleased to do it, all these different churches giving in this offering, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. 
So he's, he's on his way, very practical. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Then he's going to go to Spain. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Busy guy. No jets. No, no cars. And he's traveling thousands and thousands of miles, right? And, and I know when I come to you, I will be in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. And here's the ending of the letter. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Should end there. But then he gets into chapter 16. So really, chapter 16 is like a second conclusion to the letter. Interesting. Another interesting thing about it, he's going to name for us 34 people. 34 by name and with detail about these people in chapter 16. In fact, most of the chapter is a list of names. And you might say, ugh, it's so boring. It's like, it's like a genealogy. Why is it even there? Well, watch what he says about these people and watch who these people are, and you'll see. And number three, a little piece of information, the scribe who wrote the letter is named. And you see him there, um, his name is Tertius in verse 22 of Romans 16. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So we have the actual scribe identified, which is rare uh, in the New Testament, okay? I, I want you to, to try and understand that we're talking about a real letter here, with a real ending written by a real person. And I did some digging, and I'll show you some cool pictures. This is a really old little chunk of Romans chapter 16. Uh, you can go and see it in the University of Michigan. And I found a, an amazing website that has scanned and digitized all these old manuscripts. Folks, it's amazing what you can do now with the technology. Manuscripts.csntm for, uh, I think it's contemporary studies in New Testament manuscripts or whatever. Manuscripts.csntm.org. 2,000 scanned ancient manuscripts there that you can look at for free. And that thing that you're looking at there is from the second or third century, very, very old and it's about eight inches wide. You can even see the, the Kodak uh, color chromatogram or whatever that they use to make sure that the thing isn't losing its color. And uh, here, here's a zoom in. You know, I don't know if any of you speak ancient Greek, uh, but that's what it is. And so this is a copy of what Paul wrote. And, you know, this thing is 1,700 years old in a museum in the state of Michigan. Amazing. And that's his, yours truly, folks. You're, you're looking at it. But what he does in this last chapter is, is, is so uh, practical and so useful for us even today, even though it's essentially a list of names. Let me show you a few things here uh, in this yours truly for the ages. Number one, Paul, he again personally knows and speaks positively. Not negatively, he doesn't have one criticism about anybody in this list, about more than 30 people. 
And these are no, there's no superstars in this list. It's even, the only time you hear of some of these people is in Paul's list here. You don't hear about most of them in other parts of the New Testament. They're essentially unknown people. They're nobodies. They're, 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 they're not superstars. They're not on a platform somewhere. They're not known by people. But these are the people who he chooses to name and speak positively about, very positively about. Remember when we talked about uh, the black and white gray zone, and we talked about, you know, how do you deal with that when you have a difference of, of views on a, you know, a, an area of Christian practice that's not an essential area, it's a disputable area. I've had a few people who've come up to me after that message and ask me, uh, because we talked about gossip in that message, and I've had a few people ask me, and they gave me case studies from their lives, you know, and they said, well, is this gossip over here, and is this gossip over here, and they were quite you know, interested in, well, what constitutes gossip and what doesn't constitute gossip. Look at the way he talks about people here. This is, I mean, he's choosing to be encouraging, edifying, and positive when he talks about people. It's really simple, folks, but it's really important. When you talk about people, make an effort to speak positively about them. It's, it's not rocket science, but make that effort to do that rather than the other way. And you see Paul practicing what he preaches here. He is, wow, he edifies, he names people's gifts, he names their abilities, he names their talents, one after the other after the other, speaking positively and encouraging and edifying. How many of you know it's really easy to criticize somebody else? Right? It's very easy. You can see the faults and the problems and the errors and the mistakes and the gaffes of people anytime that you want. We love to do it, folk. We love to criticize. But how about trying to intentionally be the other way, which is exactly what he is doing here. So, for example, uh, uh, first, very, very first name in this list, you know, uh, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centrea. I ask you to receive her in, a in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. You see how positive he is, how he remembers this person, and how he speaks positively about this person brings us to the next observation about this conclusion here. At least 10 of these names, you got 34, I count 34 names here. At least 10 of them are women, including the first one on the list. You have to understand how weird this is, folks. This is a first century Asia Minor culture, okay? And in a broader sense, first century Middle East, Israel, or you know, part of it that we call Palestine today. That's the audience that he's addressing, okay? And Romans would be, would be you know, not Israel, but you know what I'm saying. This is the first century, the ancient world of that time in that place. Folks, they're not, they, you think that the culture today is man-centered and that, that women are devalued and so on. Folks, go back 2,000 years ago and live then. 
Like you've got some, you've got a definite difference and the view of women was poor back then. And here he is, the first person on the list is a woman. And not only that, he says, look, she's a deacon. And I know, you know, there's debate about what does that mean, what does that mean? But the, the lady is, is leading somehow in this church. And he says, listen, she's been a, a, a benefactor to many people, including me. And you, you receive her in a way worthy of his people. You give her anything she needs. Wow. Number one on the list. And so what he does is he combines all this, this speaking positively about people. And apparently to Paul, he doesn't devalue women. He doesn't think that women are somehow lower on the spiritual totem pole than, than men are, not at all. In fact, wasn't it Paul who said that in Christ there's no male, nor female, nor Jew, nor Greek, nor barbarian, and so on? He's basically he's saying your, your class structure, your, your social structure, your class structure, all of that is out the window. In Christ, everybody has equal value. And you don't have superstars who are of more value than somebody else. In Christ, you all have value. I don't care what your social standing is. I don't care what your biological sex is. I don't care what your background is. When you're in Christ, you are of equal value. Wow. And he's practicing what he preaches here. Verse 3, greet Priscilla. There's another woman. And Aquila, this appears to be a couple, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. This couple seems to have run a house church. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary. There's another woman who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, another woman. At least many scholars think this is a woman here. My fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before me. Well, is he saying that this, these two people, Andronicus and Junia, are apostles? There's debate about this, but look how positively he speaks about them. Encouraging, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apollos, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. You see how positive. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet, I love these two, Tryphena and Tryphosa. These two sisters, I guess. Those women who work hard in the Lord. No, no superstar culture. No superstar Christianity here. You know, we have, a, we have a present disease, folks, in the evangelical church, I would say worldwide, where we have developed a culture of superstars. And, you know, if, if, you're, if you know anything about anyone, you should follow this person's preaching and this person's teaching and this person's music and so on and so on. And it's like a superstar mentality. And we treat people as if they're rock stars. And then we're, we're shocked when they have a moral failure and uh, you know something cataclysmic morally happens in their lives and we're shocked. We shouldn't be shocked, folk. We created it. We created a system of superstars. 
Paul doesn't believe in this sort of thing. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. My dear friend Persis, another woman, he says, who has worked very hard in the Lord. He acknowledges their effort. He acknowledges their giftings and their talents. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord with his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. I'm not so sure I would want to be Paul's mother. <laughs> but, but notice what he says. She has been a mother to me, too. She cared for him in some way or another way and acknowledges this. Who is this woman? She's a, just a common person, not a superstar at all. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters. He's got Greek names there. He's got Jewish names there. It's all a mixed bag. It's all an all-dressed pizza. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Go ahead, do that now. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. We don't really know what that meant, folks. Some people think they know, and some people think they... We don't really know what it meant. But you get the point. You see how positive he is, how encouraging he is. He's practicing what he preaches. Male, female, Jew, Greek, you're all of equal value. There are no superstars in the kingdom. Amazing. Watch this. I urge you, brothers and sisters... If there's any theology in the conclusion, here it is. To watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Watch out for these people. They're manipulative people. They're self-centered people. They're trying to lead you astray. They're trying to get you back into legalism and all this type of stuff. They're trying to cause divisions and so on within your community by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. He talked about this a few chapters before in this whole thing of good and evil. And it's not only, you know, dealing with demons and all this kind of stuff, remember? And look at this verse in verse 20. He just drops it in. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He just drops it in right after those verses, this warning be, be uh, wise about what is good, innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Folks, you talk about an encouragement. My goodness. So here he's acknowledging that at some point in the near future, at least in his mind when he's writing, God is going to crush, he's going to deal a death blow to the enemy, to Satan which is a word that means enemy. But how's he going to do it? Under whose feet? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Under the people's feet. Under the people's feet. The, you are going to go like that somehow. You are going to defeat him. God is going to do it, but he's going to use you to do it. It's going to be under your feet. 
This is a, he just slips it in as if it's nothing. Folks, Genesis chapter 3, God says, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. You, he's speaking to the serpent there, which could be somehow figurative of Satan. In Revelation, it says uh, uh, that old serpent, Satan. So it could be. Uh, so he says, he says to the serpent in Genesis 3, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Any of you ever killed a snake before? You know how to do it, right? You don't go after his tail. You gotta, you gotta crush the literal head of the serpent. And here he is saying it's it's a I guess a metaphor for the ultimate judgment upon evil here. He's going to crush God. He, God is going to crush the enemy, but he's going to crush the enemy under your feet. You are somehow going to participate in his ultimate demise. Wow, that is a powerful encouragement that Paul is saying the people, the common people are involved in this whole thing, in this kind of cosmic battle of good and evil. The people are involved in it. And God is going to use the people to ultimately defeat the enemy. Amazing little thing. He just slips in there. And then he continues, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, uh, my co-worker, sends his greetings, so presumably Timothy is with him. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater and my fellow Jews. Then you have Tertius identify himself. He says he wrote the letter down. Then you have this guy Gaius, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. And then you've got another thing that he just dumps in here, and this would be kind of our, our last point here. The gospel that Paul preaches and that he has written about for 15 chapters is just as real as the people who you see named here. He, he, he mixes uh, real people with the story of the supernatural God who has come down to die in our place. They're just as real to Paul. He's not in the slightest bit suggesting that somehow uh, Jesus is somehow to be treated as a sort of fanciful tale or some mythological thing and that his death on the cross was somehow poetic of something. No, this is absolutely positively real to Paul, as real as the people you see named here. You've got a guy in verse 24 who we raise our eyebrows at now. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Many think that Paul wrote this letter perhaps from Corinth. So he names here this guy Erastus, and he says that he's the city's director of public works and also names somebody else named Quartus. In 1929, in the city of Corinth, they, in an excavation, they actually found what you're looking at on the screen, um, this inscribed in the stone. They say that these letters would have been filled with bronze, 
Uh, I'm pretty sure they're in Latin there. I don't think any of you can read Latin, but when you translate it in English, it says, Erastus, in return for his edileship, if I'm pronouncing that right in English, laid at his own expense. So this was a, a monument that he paid for, this guy, Erastus, and it's put there in return for this, whatever this means, this ship, which we have to try and figure it out. And so what we've managed to do is to determine that what this was was like a high-ranking public office in a city and that the person would have functioned as a commissioner of public works. It's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying Erastus is the city's director of public works. He's probably writing from Corinth. Here you've got the guy's stone still surviving 2,000 years later. You can see how big it is. I think that's a, a pastor there who went on a trip and just to show you the size of it. Folks, the, the people who he's naming are just as real as the gospel that he's proclaiming. He doesn't in the slightest bit even hint that there's anything non-real or non-historical about what Jesus did. Verse 25, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. As soon as he names all these people, here is his ultimate, ultimate ending to this letter. He's probably dictating it to this scribe, Tertius, who's you know, feverishly writing it down. The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. He's as real as Erastus in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages is past, but now revealed and made known, made known through the prophetic, that supernatural, writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles, remember, that's who he wants to bring the message to, might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. And that's the amen that amens the amen. But you, but you see how, again, for Paul, this is real what he's saying. This is real stuff. These are real people. They're not superstars. They're all equal of equal value in the Lord and in Christ. You see how he edifies. You see how he encourages. You see how he treats these people. He knows their very names. 34 people he names. He hasn't even been there to visit. Yet he knows these people. He must have run into them several times in the past. But he knows who they are. He remembers them. He acknowledges them. He edifies them. And 2,000 years later, we can discover a Tryphena and a Tryphosa who worked hard in the Lord. These people who were just common people, folks, not superstars at all. And if, there, if there's anything that, that I want you to get from this message, and if anybody, uh, get musicians, you guys can come up and play. We're going to finish now. Thank God it's over. <laughs> but if there's anything that I want you to get from this message today, folks, you are like the people in this list. You are like those people. You know, there's an Erastus in the room or watching online. There's a Tryphena and a Tryphosa. There's a Tertius in the room. There are people who you're never going to be some superstar. 
And this is not what Jesus intended to build, a superstar culture in the kingdom. He's not interested in superstars. He's interested in people who submit to him and people who want to obey him and people who want to pick up a towel and serve and people who want to do things that maybe no one's going to see. But someone sees. Paul saw. Paul saw. Paul experienced their ministry. He experienced their touch. He experienced their care. And he acknowledges them. And we see them 2,000 years later in this ancient, ancient piece of work, folks. So submit yourselves to God. And remember that the work that you do for him However, you may think it to be small and insignificant. It's not insignificant to him. He uses the common person to do great, great things. Father, I pray for each one who's in the room, those who are watching online, those who are going to watch uh, later and look at recordings and so on. In the name of Jesus, that the Spirit of God would fill each individual person. Lord, you have an unction. You have an anointing for each person for a specific work with a specific gift or many gifts for each person you want to use, Lord. So I pray that we would understand who we are in Christ, whether the person is, is speaking, singing, or or sweeping the floor, God, in your view, in your kingdom, everyone is equal, God. In you, every work of grace, every act of service is as worship unto you. And you receive it, Lord. And you see it, Lord. So I pray you would, you would strengthen people. Strengthen the one who thinks that they're not gifted in this room. Strengthen the one who thinks that they're not anointed, Lord. Fill them afresh with power and with your spirit and enable people, Lord, to go out into their jobs and into their schools and into their families to be salt and to be light in your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for hanging in in the book of Romans. It's all online. If you want to revisit it, it's all there. Remember next week, we've got Anna Rust who will be sharing on uh, Mother's Day. And also for those of you who are part of the Wednesday night and Thursday groups, as I will be away representing our church at conference, we won't have that this week, okay? So you get a break. We will see you next week. Remember to pick up your kids, everyone. Have a great day.